0: Welcome to our podcast. I'm Angel. I'm May. We start our journey with a warm piece of souvenir portraying the famed West Lake in southern China. It's a parched piece of paper inked with the outlines of draining temples and hills that span the background. Fifth of the ten sides of West Lake says the Chinese characters, invoking images of lotus flowers wavering in a summery breeze. The elegant Chinese script written over it reads, October 13, 1919, I write this as a souvenir for Mr. Bradberg, who eats at the same table as I do. Next to these words, we learn the name of the person who sent out this gift, our protagonist, Huang Yusheng. He was one of the first Chinese students to go to Lawrence, and he graduated in 1920. But how and why did he come here? And how does his personal history reflect the experience of American educated Chinese students and the history of Lawrence? It turns out that Huang was
1: founded by a scholarship called the Boxer Indemnity Scholarship. According to a 1997 issue of Lawrence Today, Wang was one of the five Chinese students who studied at Lawrence in the 1910s, and all of them were sponsored by the same scholarship. Digging deeper into the historical background, we found out that the scholarship was a joint effort between China and the United States. It was established in 1907. President Theodore Roosevelt claimed that the scholarship would help China adapt itself to modern conditions, and that it was an act of friendship. However, the historical picture looked more complex than that. Why do you say that? First of all, for China, the scholarship was bound to be a bittersweet prize because the funds used for the scholarship were from the excess of an indemnity paid by China to the U.S. in the 1900s. When an anti-imperialist rebellion broke out in China in 1899, The eight-nation alliance, which included Austria-Hungary, France, and the U.S., invaded Beijing, and demanded a lot of indemnity from China. For many Chinese, this was a shameful memory. More importantly, according to historian Michael Hunt, during the diplomatic negotiations for the scholarship, the Chinese government pretty much had no say in determining the form it was going to take, while in fact they wanted the funds to be used for other purposes.
0: So people responded to the so-called collaboration between China and the U.S. in very different ways. Actually, one thing that really intrigued us during our research was Yusheng Huang's own position on nationalism. Based on records from ancestry, Huang sailed to San Francisco, arriving in September 1919. On the second day of his arrival, the San Francisco Chronicle featured a somewhat confusing article about nationalist protests that broke out in China. It seems like Huang was involved in a protest against the exclusion of Chinese students from a Japan-China Friendship Society and was even arrested for it. This presumably happened before he came to the U.S., but it does show that Huang was very involved politically. After his stay in San Francisco,
1: Huang went on to Lawrence. Apparently, he retained his interest in speaking out on his political opinions. While he was at Lawrence, Huang gave a speech titled Justice for China in both the interclass and state oratorical contests in 1920. He won first place at the inter-class contest and second place at the state contest. According to the Capital Times, his speech was a vital one for himself, and he warned the audience with his sincerity. I think he might have covered important issues regarding China's relationship with other countries during that time. During the 1920s in China, students were protesting against the allegedly unfair treatment of China in the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. The precarious relationship between China and the West helps to explain Juan's
0: interest in politics. Another example that demonstrates Huang's interests is a public exhibition that was held at Lawrence on October 10, 1919. In celebration of the eighth-year anniversary of the Republic of China, Huang and another Chinese student appeared in native costume and exhibited articles of interest from their native land. The program read, Long live the Republic of China and long live the friendship between America and China. I thought the slogan is very interesting because it shows that, while the exhibition was nationalist, it was also a celebration of the friendship between China and the U.S. For Huang, there seems to be no contradiction in being a patriotic Chinese and a beneficiary of so-called Western learning at the same time.
1: And what's interesting is that, even though Huang appeared to be a very skillful public speaker, newspaper articles didn't always portray him that way. When the Wisconsin State Journal reported that Huang won first place at the interclass oratorical contest, it also claimed that Huang found it difficult to sling English when he arrived in the United States a few years ago.
0: I wonder if the reporter wrote that just because Huang was from China. Considering the section was titled Chinaman Wins Honor, there could have been some bias in his reporting of Huang. It is true that many Chinese students experienced language barriers when they first arrived in the U.S. According to Stacey Beeler's book on American-educated Chinese students, some of them struggled to keep up with classes. Speaking English was a great challenge for them because of their allegedly abominable accent. It seems like either Huang managed to overcome these difficulties quickly, or the newspaper exaggerated the extent to which he struggled with English.
1: Another thing that we noticed from reading these newspaper articles was that they used the derogatory terms Chinaman and Jap when they referred to Huang and the Japanese. Along the same veins, Buehler's book talks about Chinese students experiencing varying degrees of racism. From the archival materials we examined, though, it's not quite clear whether Huang personally experienced racism. However, looking at the artifact that started our podcast, it's safe to conclude that Huang at least shared some degree of companionship with Americans while he was at Lawrence.
0: We could even say that this piece of souvenir serves as a symbol of the friendship between China and the U.S. that Huang hoped for. Huang's experience in the U.S. helps us understand the history of Lawrence because it reveals the ways in which Lawrence's history intertwines with the larger historical context of early 20th century relations between the U.S. and China. Huang Yusheng, like many other American-educated Chinese students, reminds us that education is not an ivory tower secluded from the larger social forces at play at a specific time and place.
1: Finally, we would like to thank the Lawrence librarians, Gretchen Revy, Aaron Dix, and Andrew McSorley for providing much-appreciated help with their research and recording. A special thank you to Arnold de Maro and David Burke for helping with the technology. Last but not least, a huge thanks to the Lawrence University Archives and Lawrence University Library. We couldn't have done our research without them. For information on citations and music used in this podcast, please refer to the bottom of our poster.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. This was Angel and May. Bye.